genre. Hi everyone, welcome to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute, the daily podcast where we are watching the 1990 live-action Turtles movie one minute at a time, or at least we were, uh, and now we're doing something extra special live via Skype with us today. We have a fantastic guest who's about to be at San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, please give a round of applause over the internet to one of the creators of Teenage Mutant <laughs> Ninja <you're> Turtles. <laughs> yeah, unless you're driving. In that case, just keep your hands on the wheel. Uh, give it up for one of the creators of Ninja Turtles, Mr. Kevin Eastman. Hi, Kevin. Hi, everybody. Yay! Yay! Cowabunga! Cow- oh, yeah! We got <laughs> Kevin Eastman to say cowabunga. I'm so happy about that. Yay! <laughs> um, we didn't even have to try that hard. So Kevin's joining us from California. You're doing a bunch of interviews today to get ready for San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, Kevin, what's going on at Comic-Con this year? It's July 19th through the 22nd. What are you, what are you doing at the big show? Oh, always excited. I, you know, was just joking to somebody that, uh, um, this, not only the turtles, uh, are 34 years old. I've now gone to San Diego Comic-Con almost as many years as the turtles wow. have been with us. Uh, They're one year my... older than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The first Comic-Con I was, uh, Peter and I attended was 1985 and, uh, so it's a thrill to go back. It's been such a treat, um, not only watching it grow as a <clears throat> as a convention and to you know to start as a comic convention, grow into this you know incredible pop culture experience for everybody to to go to what I call the happiest place on earth for all of us. <laughs> now, what exactly, what specifically are you doing at Comic Con this year? Are you in Artist Alley? Are you on panels? A little bit of everything. I'm I'm lucky that I, I get to work on so many different kinds of uh, turtle related universe things and some of my own stuff. But I'm doing a uh, a signing for um, IDW on Thursday. I'm uh, doing uh, signings for a, a company that we do a lot of uh, variants and some uh, exclusive fun product uh, called Planet Awesome. I'll be signing at their booth a couple times exclusively. Heavy Metal Magazine doing a signing, Turtles panel, uh, my own personal panel talking about Drawing Blood and other new projects I'm doing. And um, just enjoying it. I, I love being able to have the variety of not you know, being in one place for the entire show, I get to move around and, and see people I only get to see at the show and then talk to all kinds of fans, That, uh, um, which is my, hands down, my favorite part. Ah, that's awesome. Well, we look forward, we're not going to be out there, unfortunately, but if any of our listeners are out in uh, San Diego for the 19th to 22nd, stop by, say hi to Kevin, tell him we sent you. Um, <laughs> you don't get anything special for it, but it's cool for us. <laughs> <laughs> Tweet us a picture. That's yeah, what they can do. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, there you go. Yes, we'll do selfies. Yeah, a uh, mad celebrity snap, so to speak. <laughs> um, so, Kevin, you're going to be there uh, July 19th to 22nd. Um, you're, like I said, working on IDW. I know Adam's a big fan of the IDW comics. I started reading the series. I kind of fell off. But, I man, the fact that you're doing covers and some of the artwork and writing again on Turtles, what's that like? What's it like dipping your toe back into the universe after, you know, you were gone for so long? Oh, it's been absolutely fantastic. You know, it's, it's you know, even though I never... It, it was a while that I hadn't done hands-on turtle stuff. The turtles have always been close and part of my life, which you know I feel like uh, is is such a blessing. Um, but when IDW got the uh, rights to do the new comic book, um, my friend Scott Dambier and, and some of the guys over at IDW invited me down to meet Tom Waltz, who is the series writer, the head series writer who developed um, uh, the storyline, and uh, Bobby Kernow is the series editor. Um, and so I went down and met Tom, and, and he 
sort of laid out what he wanted to do with the IDW universe, as we now call it, um, for the Turtles, and I was just blown away. And I, I kind of um, inserted myself, if you will, practically, because I fell in love with it so much that I did the layouts for the first bunch of issues, um, working awesome. with Dan Dunk to get it off the ground. And, you know, I, a part of the mind melt that, you know, we, we plot the issues. Um, I've written a bunch of the issues, um, do the covers, which was a blast. And I yeah. get to work with some incredibly talented people. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, I know you guys kind of stopped drawing in, it, man, it was somewhere in the 20s, the 30s issues of the original Mirage run, right? And you started handing off to a lot of other artists. And, you know, that that had to have been around the same time that the TV show and all that stuff was kicking off. So I guess the first big question we have for you is, um, actually, this is Adam's question. So Adam, why don't you ask it? <laughs> oh, so uh, at, as we learned from from talking to Steve Barron, uh, the, the director of the 90 film, the movie kind of went into pre-production before the toys and the cartoon really took off. Like they were around, but I don't think they'd really dug in. So it seems like everything kind of hit at the same time. So what was it like handling all of that at once? And at what point did you begin to realize just how huge of a license TMNT was, was and would be? Well, it's, you know, not to, you know, first let me say how much I, I love and respect Steve Barron. He, he is literally, you know, <clears throat> the guy that brought, <clears throat> the turtles uh, to life in that live action universe that in a way uh, none of us could have imagined uh, bringing in Jim Henson and, you know, even Brian Henson was worked on the, on the, on the, um, on the first movie, but he was such a fantastic uh, director. He really captured the perfect vision and that will always be my favorite TMT movie of all time. Um, but no, Peter and I actually, we started um, developing a cartoon show in 1987 uh, the first episodes came out and around Christmas in 1987. The toys came out in 1988. And so by the time we ha- started having the discussion about the movie, it was after we had an incredibly successful Christmas 88 and 89. It was really um, kicking into high gear. And that's around when Steve came in um, because we were getting a lot of interest to do a live action movie. And we were honestly scared to death. Um, <laughs> you know, considering <laughs> The comics were... You know, it's a drawn medium. The the cartoons, even at that time, were were all um, hand drawn. You know, cartoons and the toys were sort of three D representations of that. But we were just really concerned about how do we pull off um, a live action movie in a way that you know, if the characters can't come alive, if you can't suspend and and go there to have the audience believe that these are, you know, we know they're people in rubber suits, but you have to go beyond that and believe that they really exist and uh, to make it all work. And that that squarely fell, fell right on the shoulders of Steve and Jim Henson. And they did such a fantastic job. So what was it like on your end? Like once the, the, the whole world of turtles was going crazy, like how did you, what are some of the things you did to deal with that? Like, was it, did you suddenly become like, Oh my God, I'm famous now. Like people know who I am. How did you handle that stuff? (laughs) Well, um, you know, honestly it was, we were kind of in a bit of a bubble only in that, um, because Peter and I owned and controlled all things turtles, that you know, pretty much anything that was done on the turtles, whether it be um, <coughs> my dog is very, very excited about this conversation. <laughs> Sorry, is that you? Yeah, it's him barking in the background. <laughs> sorry about oh, that. That's, no, that's all right. I got you got three little wiener dogs in the other room. Oh, I just nice. shut the door. Anyway, I'm so sorry to interrupt. Aww. Please continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there was, uh, you know, because Peter and I were lucky enough to own and control all aspects of what was to be done and not done with the turtles. So we wanted to be hands on on everything. So whether it be the cartoon shows, the toys, any of the uh, other licensing um, 
that was done in the movies. So we were, you know, a lot of people immediately thought, well, you guys must be just sitting by the pool drinking martinis all day long. <laughs> um, we were, you know, we were working, you know, you know, 90 plus hours a week. Um, wow. You know, on every, all things turtles, which is again, not a complaint in any sense of the word, but that uh, we wanted to be part of and have final say on anything that was done with our characters, which actually leads in, you know, leads back to one of the other questions you mentioned, which was, uh, um, when our work on the original comic book series kind of trailed off, we started bringing in other artists uh, to help complete the issues on a regular basis. Um, Pete and I switched off, would work with different artists, and would come back and do a, a short miniseries or something. But it was mainly because the workload on all other things Turtles was so heavy, we just you know would would have only been able to put out you know one book a year. It right. was just him and I doing it. So. Um, so that actually that segues really nicely into my next question, which is, you know, how much uh, we talked to Steve Barron, as Adam said, about sort of the behind the scenes of making the movie. But what what was your involvement in the 1990 film, like pre-production, even when it was filming? Were you involved in casting or, you know, did you see dailies? What was how much were you actually in that whole process? We were um, very intimately involved in that, you know, to the point where there had been uh, a few other Proposals for live action movies um, prior to Steve Darren coming along. Which oh, mean, um, like what? Please tell. <laughs> oh, no, no. Just, you know, there were other people that proposed uh, us doing a live action movie with them and what the idea that they wanted to do with that movie, which we declined. Ah. <laughs> um, and it was not until, um, you know, Steve came along. And, and what's so beautiful about what Steve did is um, he had really gone back to the original black and white comic books, um, had picked key scenes out of issue one, issue 10, issue 11, and a Leonardo one-shot, which mm-hmm. that was sort of the foundation of how he, of where he, what he did to thread the entire movie together. Um, and then, you know, brought in all of the elements of the animated show for the, 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 the cartoony um, gags yeah. and the human aspect. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, um, you know, from approval of the treatment, approval of the final script, approval of the final look of the costumes, um, Casting was something that Steve did, but, you know, they ran that material by us. Um, uh, we were, we got dailies um, uh, from uh, right from the set. We were down on set um, several times, um, you know, watching this, this beast. And I can only call it a beast because you know, <laughs> I look at, you know, when I draw a comic book story, um, it's me alone at my desk, you know, writing and drawing and handling everything, right. all the lighting and everything. And then watching, Steve Barron wrangle, um, you know, 25, 30 extras, you know, 35, 40 people running around lighting this, smoking that, doing that, um, and then still getting, you know, everything lined up, especially with the animatronics that are needed to make that thing work. And sometimes they didn't work um, and getting the shots right. It was just a, you know, it, it scared the heck out of me for Steve, but it was a fantastic process to, to watch all come together so beautifully. Um um, it was really, really something. Uh, that's awesome. Talking to Steve Barron, it was amazing to hear how he took the, like, basically the comic books, and he's like, we just basically put pages on the wall and said, shoot that. Um, which speaks to the strength of the stories that you guys were telling, especially in that first, like, you know, 13, 14 issues of the comic book. It was really kind of a cohesive run all the way through uh, that first, you know, big arc. Did you guys ever want to get like the Utroms and sort of the sci-fi element stuff involved in, in the Turtles <laughs> movies too? Yeah, that was something that, you know, and first, you know, again, it's, it's one thing for Steve to, you know, what we loved is he really saw something. He fell in love with the, you know, the original 
15 issues that Peter and I did, which was, you know, the issues one through 11 and the one shot featuring each of the turtles. Yeah. And that was, he found enough of the raw material and what we had done with the storyline that he felt that he had a great handle on the characters and what he wanted, the kind of movie that he wanted to tell. Um, especially bringing in Todd Langdon, who did the final script, who really beautifully put it together, all the emotional beats and, and, and things like that. But the original, some of the original concepts of where we thought would be great to take movie two would be, you know, the Utrams into the whole um, Star Wars realm, if you will, of going to outer space. And that was almost immediately shot down as a budget buster. Yeah, yeah I can imagine back in, what was it, 91? That would have been a, a yeah. lot of money to ask for. <laughs> That which is exactly. insane because this movie was like the highest grossing independent film of all time when it came out too. Yes, it was. It should have given you more money. <laughs> <laughs> they they definitely gave a, gave a little bit more budget, but I think they they definitely grounded it in number levels um, as well. So. Chris, you had a question you wanted to ask. Oh no! I mean, like uh, you know, it's kind of sound like that. That kind of answered my question. Like I was, you know, I, I was wondering like how concerned you were about uh, like notes from from studio executives, like how how tight a control you had on the adaptation. But it sounds like uh, you kind of answered that. There's no no fear of uh, of any suit coming back saying like oh, we don't like Renaissance painters. Why don't you name them after French expressionists? But you know, it sounds <laughs> like that was not an issue. Fortunately, that was you know. In- it's you know to imagine that kind of a concept is is totally uh, pos- possible considering some of the stuff that goes on in Hollywood. So we were grateful oh, yeah. that we to deal with that. We we had a we had the exceptional Steve Barron and, and the team, and, and so yeah, was, we were in good hands. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have a couple sort of stock questions I want to ask. If there's anything that you could change about that 1990 film, is there anything you would change no. about it? Like, and we're talking details. Like, again, we watch this movie one minute at a time. Is Replace there anything weapons with walking talkies? Yeah. <laughs> Do you yeah, want George Lucas anything about aliens. that movie? <laughs> yeah, the the only thing I would change it would be make it longer. <laughs> ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like we were we were restricted for you know obviously they, you know they have this ninety three minute ninety five minute window where they feel that you know that's that's the length of time that uh, um, before you know uh, especially young kids um, can can tolerate sitting in one spot watching a movie but we know for a fact and Steve and I have discussed it over the years um, you know we in some of the dailies there were lots of additional scenes that were shot that never never made it in the final cut for a wide variety of reasons and. We used to say how great it would be to go back and, and maybe do a director's cut or do a re-edit, but the realities, unfortunately, are, you know, film as film is, um, for the movie that came out, a lot of it has long since been lost or destroyed for uh, a variety of reasons. There's you know, no way to find the raw materials to pull that back together to do some some kind of cool uh, director's cut, but it's, yeah. um, it would be... It would have been a treat. To, you know that actually answers was, one of our one of our listeners, Kevin De Cristofano, asked why there. You know, if, if we asked if there was anything we could ask a creator, what would it be? He said, "Well, how come there's never been like a DVD release with deleted scenes?" And I guess that answers that question. I mean, some of them are up on YouTube and stuff, but uh, man, it would be really fun to see like the, the just even you know we all know about the the alternate ending where they're in the comic book shop and you know Michelangelo falls off the roof, things like that. But I'd be really interested to see even just the smaller moments that were shot. You know. That didn't quite make it. Yeah, you know, it's it's we've been so spoiled. You know, you know, being one of those guys that um, loves movies and loves the stuff that you know, being able to see, you know, as technology evolved to be able to see, you know, extensive behind the scenes footage and and setups and things like that. uh, That would have been something that you know would have been such a treat. But you know, I think a lot of people, even um, 
when that first movie came together, it was such a, you know, it makes me flashback to the original first issue. We never thought we'd sell more than, you know, maybe a couple hundred of those. Uh, when the first cartoons came out, we were kind of scratching our head that, you know, do we actually think that we're going to find an audience for this? That yeah. Will kids, you know, teen, you know, animated teenage mutant ninja turtles running around? And so, and, and the movie was the same. You know, if people didn't buy the characters on the screen, it wouldn't work. Um, but we were blessed in, in every in every sense. And now that movie was kind of like this phrase, dark and gritty, ran through Hollywood for a long time. I guess it probably started with like the Batman, you know, Chris Nolan movies. Oh, we're going back to dark and gritty if we're doing comic book. But Turtles is like the first like. I guess Batman 89 and then Turtles, you know, are like the first dark and gritty comic book movies. It, it wasn't silly. You know, it took itself without being, you know, weird about it. It took itself seriously and it believed in its own universe. And like the, the visual aesthetic, everything was just like 80s New York. It looked great. And it wasn't, you know, as a kid, I remember seeing it and being really excited that it was the Turtles. But at the same time, it's totally different than the cartoon. It's a completely different vibe. It's way more akin to the comic books. Um, how did you feel when the sequels, you know, with, given the success of that first movie, when the, the sort of formula changed and they lightened things up so much to kind of lean more towards the cartoons, how that, how did you react to that? Um, we, we were kind of bummed. <laughs> um, it was, it was one of those that, you know, as you quite as astutely said, I mean, we really feel like Steve created the perfect marriage of, um, edginess and, um, uh, um, story attitude and emotional levels that would really appeal to an older audience while still keeping, you know, the, the antics and the humor for the younger audience. And it was just such a, a, a perfect blend that we, we felt that he really hit it, you know, square nail on the head. And so we felt naturally that would be the smart way to approach um, a sequel if there was going to be one. And there was one, but um, you know, Hollywood sometimes has this concept of trying to fix something that isn't broken. Yeah. <laughs> and they just, and they just said, well, you know, even though if you read the original script, it had a lot more edge into it and had more of the things that you would have found that you found in movie one. But when they shot it, they specifically did things like uh, rarely, if ever, had the turtles use their weapons. Right. You know, you know, Angela had sausage links. Yeah, sausage links and things like that. I got so really- excited about sausage links as a kid after seeing that movie. I was like, I'm just going to nunchuck them around. <laughs> They were never actually as much fun as the movie made them look. No. Yeah. What about movie three? How'd you feel about that one? I quite liked it. Um, I liked the approach. I liked um, the idea of doing something uh, on a more grander scale. And that was, um, they did go up on the budget and that to try to do some, some of the, um, some larger scenes and some um, more specific sets. And we felt that linking the turtles back to a, um, uh, a bit more of their Asian history, Asian culture past, um, you know, uh, would be a really great and interesting uh, story. And I, I, I personally really liked it. Um, uh, I understand a lot of fans, comments from a lot of fans. It's, it's their least favorite. Um, yeah. I think, still, it was a, I I think, think it was it's interesting sh- personally because it sort of it's it's it nods to the comic books almost to the the Renette and the Savante Romero stuff, the time travel without actually directly doing a straight adaptation. Um, yep. But I do think it felt. To, I mean, for me, and we'll get to this when we inevitably talk about movie three. But I always thought it was a little rushed, um, just pacing wise. Um, how about the Michael yep. Bay stuff? What do you think about the new stuff? 
Well, you know, it's it's the the plus of all the Michael Bay stuff is us finally getting to see you know characters like Bebop and Rocksteady on the big yeah. screen, which you know, should have been in movie two, but yeah, wasn't. what? Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, why 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 did they go from from Bebop and Rocksteady to Toka and Raza Razar? Why what? That change didn't make any sense. <laughs> well, it was one of those that um, you know they were always looking for um, new. Uh, Bad guys, a new character, you know, new, uh, new toys. Yeah, it's well, yeah, definitely some toys, but it was more. Um, um, the concept was at least in the initial discussions it was like, well, everybody's seen Bebop and Rocksteady and so many of the cartoons. Wouldn't it be fun to come up with some new, uh. you know, evil bad guys? And we we lobbied for Bebop and Rocksteady, but you know, um, ultimately agreed to because we still had a full approval at that time. We said, well, it would be great to come up with some new, you know, bad guys that we can bring into the turtle universe. And, um, that was one of those hindsight is 2020 things where we should have stuck to it and our guns and had bebop and Rocksteady in there. So, um, um, but, um, no, the, the newer films are, are, there's a lot of fun elements in there. It's like, um, you know, some of it's actually, you know, even the look of the turtles, which, you know, I personally prefer the smaller, Teenage turtles instead of you know six six foot feet. adult looking roid ragey turtles. Yeah, the bulletproof. <laughs> um, but that was you know, they, but they did. They actually you know, Michael Zuli did a uh, three part yeah. series in the run that they based. They really fell in love with that that look and style, and that so it evolved out of the original comic books. But I still felt that. Um, Man, that Michael Zuli run was awesome. That was such a. I remember picking that up and I didn't pick up the comics till much later, but that blew my mind when I first, like even just the covers, I was like, what is this? It was so good. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> um, well, I know we're approaching the end of our time here, so I want to just kind of rapid fire a couple more quick questions. If that's cool with you. Sure. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so we talked about what you might change or what you didn't love about the 1990 film. What do you think it got the most right? What is the best you know, part for you? Well, I think it was just, um, you know, um, I guess I feel like, I mean, he was in a, a good example would be like Casey Jones. Oh, I'm so um, glad you said that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Casey Jones to me was perfect to the point where, you know, whenever, you know, when I originally conceived of the character, when Pete and I originally did the character, um, when he came, when Elias Kateas brought him to life on the, on the screen, you know, from that moment on, every time I wrote. Casey Jones, I thought of Elias Kateas, his portrayal of Casey Jones. Um, there were just elements of, and that, you know, digs into the personalities. I felt that they, um, Steve really, the, the Steve and Todd really nailed the, the, the characters of the Turtles, their personalities. Each one was very distinctive and they had their, um, their flaws, their pluses, their minuses, their flaws. It was just, um, um, I felt it was like, as a, if I was an actor looking at other actors in a movie, they pulled off the acting tremendously well. And I thought you really felt for the characters. And, and that's, um, you know, considering they're guys wearing rubber suits, that is a, that is absolutely a brilliant um, thing. But yeah, I mean, so I'd say personalities, I think they got perfectly right. And then, you know, Casey Jones specifically, he was, he was one of the standouts All of, right. of many well, things. Look, since you brought up Casey Jones, I'm going to throw this at you and you tell me what you think. One of the things that we came oh, up no. with, I know guys, bear with me. <laughs> So one of the things that we sort oh of boy. spitballed around in, you know, the massive amount of time we were talking about this film is like, where was Casey Jones before all this stuff happened? What is his backstory in this sort of movie universe? So we kind of came up with this theory 
that maybe mm. Casey, maybe I came up with this theory, and I don't know how many other people in the show like it. No, but. we all came up with it together. <laughs> yeah, we I all worked on like it. Casey together. Jones. The more people we tell about it, the better I feel. <laughs> maybe had a kid who was like, you know, maybe maybe murdered or died, and like he roams the streets at night, sort of like avenging the loss of his child, which explains why some of his sports equipment is slightly smaller than regulation size. Like, as it is son's sports <laughs> equipment, it gives him a motive. Just saying. Yeah. We, 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 we were like, why is this bat so small? Why is this hockey stick so small? These, those look like child stuff. And that's that's the explanation we came up with. And I feel bad about it the more people we tell about it. But man, yeah, we it, just made him Frank Castle, basically. <laughs> that's what day drinking will do for you guys. It, yeah, I well, suppose. that's why we probably shouldn't drink when we're doing the podcast. No, no, uh, no, no I'm kidding. No, it was, it was, it was really um, one of those things that, you know, when the sort of the seed of the spark of the creation that I first had for Casey Jones would has always seemed that vigilantes in comic books, and especially around that time, um, uh, they just had this <clears throat> horrific backstory. You know, their family had been murdered a la Batman. Yeah. Mike Castle's um, the Punisher, you know, their whole town had been blown up, but they were the only survivor. <laughs> That's a right. little extreme. Yeah. But it was like just how many living parents are there for the Avengers? Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, my dad always said he never wanted to be the parent of a superhero. That's <laughs> right. it. Yeah, that's or a, a Disney princess. Oh, or a Disney princess. You're right. Good, good point. Um, so the the kind of a, you know continuing down this parody lane of of things that we sort of uh, would hold a mirror up to. It was. I just thought it'd be kind of funny to have a guy that decided to become a vigilante because um, he watched too much bad TV. Um, <laughs> Which, That's right. You know, in the original comics, he's just like pumping iron watching TV, right? Yeah, he had like three TVs going That's at the same right. time. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, it was that, that was kind of like because Pete used to really like shows like A Team and TJ Hooker and some of these cop shows. That, Hunter, know, Hunter, you know <laughs> things like that. And so I just thought that that would be it would be a less interesting backstory that it wasn't like some horrific thing that just made him decide to fight crime. He just just that he ends up uh, becoming exactly what local TV news is always warning us about. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, then, I'm glad for one that we can finally put that one to bed. Are we yeah. done with it now? We'll just put it aside. I, now. I think we're done. Okay. We're done <laughs> we can't go any higher. We up. Like the Supreme Court of Ninja Turtles. We can't take this any higher now. <laughs> <laughs> um, real quick, your thoughts on Danny in the movie as a character. So someone, I don't know if you had any create uh, hand in creating the character of Danny, but this, this brand new, he's only ever appeared in this one movie. He's never been in cartoons or comics or anything. What are your thoughts on him as a character in this film? No, I, I liked it. It was just, it was one of those things that, um, you know, it, Steve with his style of storytelling is that, you know, to bring into, um, Many of the characters in it, each each of them had an emotional arc um, or had a, you know, and they all sort of, as you sort of thread each of these characters get together, which is, you know, April and her loss of her job and what she's trying to do and Casey and how they come together and the turtles, you know, losing Splinter. I just thought that having Danny instead of just a kid bumming around, uh, you know, just there for no reason, it was a great way to tie into the whole foot um, conspiracy, which was, you know, we needed to try to build that. Mm -hmm. uh, storylines to see what it was, you know, affecting, you know, to, you know, affecting the youth and, and the problems that it was causing. So if you got to see it firsthand with somebody that was linked clearly into the story and plus it led to, you know, finding Splinter and him, you know, cause sometimes, you know, we, we joke Courtney and I that we have a 12 year old and sometimes we can say something to him and 
it doesn't, it kind of falls on deaf ears, but if somebody else, a coach or something that he works with says it and goes, oh yeah, that makes sense. So when Splinter talks to him in that <laughs> one scene, I thought that was a perfect moment to help him sort of look inward that, you know, maybe his life isn't that bad. Maybe his dad really does care for him and yeah. stuff. So I, I, I really like Danny. He was specifically created for the movie and as part of the series. And, um, um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I dug it. Awesome. Um, so you talked about how, uh, you know, you influenced this film, obviously, with the comics. Is there anything, and you also mentioned uh, Casey Jones, how you wrote towards uh, his characterization in this movie more, but are there any other aspects of this movie that have influenced you in the way you write any of these characters now in IDW? No, well, it's kind of, um, the IDW comic series is, is you know, and I and I specifically like to say that it really is kind of its own turtle universe. In it's like that. the greatest hits of turtles. <laughs> it's, yeah, no, it's like everything. Right. It's awesome. Yeah, and that was Tom's idea from the beginning was to create, you know, to make some changes and tweaks to the origin, which I loved. It was very risky, but I thought it was it was a great way to again create a new platform to pull ideas from. But um, this scenario, the the foundation of what was created for the IDW universe, did allow us to pull from. The 2000 series, the Archie comics, the original black and white series, you know, the 2007 mm-hmm. movie, you know, everything. It was really um, uh, to pull from from everything. So I think that, you know, when I think of the IDW universe, I, I've, I, I come up with you know new voices for the characters and, and new plots and new opportunities and concepts because it's, um, you know, really it's, it's, a, it's a nice palette to work with. Awesome. Well, we're happy to have you back working on Turtles. Um, I'm going to give Rachel the last question here. Rachel has perhaps the most important question of the afternoon. Rachel, do you want to go ahead and ask your question? Yes. Yes. Very important question. Um, what is your favorite pizza topping? That's an easy one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not so easy, but it is. I, you know, I do love my pizza. That was uh, the, you know, my after school job in high school. I worked at a pizza place, and that's probably where the influence came from. Um, <laughs> But no, our family favorite is uh, my wife, uh, Courtney. Her, her dad loves Hawaiian pizza with jalapenos on it. And the mm. first time I fell in love with it. So whenever we're together and we want to get something uh, yummy, our, our perfect pizza topping is Hawaiian pizza with uh, jalapenos. That's wow. awesome. Wow. Awesome. That is an unpopular uh, pizza choice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, or, or it's, it's kind of d- divisive. It's one of those things you... You either really like it or you you don't at all. It's kind of polarizing. It's better than yeah, anchovies. We all ate anchovy pizzas on the show no, this anchovies. year, and uh, that was rough. <laughs> that was rough. Um, anchovies, <laughs> anchovies and jelly beans. Yeah. <laughs> oh. There you go. We're, that's for season two, guys. We'll try that. Uh, Kevin, once again, why don't you tell us uh, what days, where you're going to be at Comic-Con so people can come check you out. And if you want to plug anything else, any other projects you're working on, now is the time to do it. Go for it. Microphone is yours. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be on the Home Shopping Network from November. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> it would be amazing. I'll buy it. Whatever it is, I don't care. I'm buying it. Here's a box of knives. Ten dollars. Yeah, probably the easiest. I'm going to be signing, you know, at different locations throughout Comic Con. But the best thing for fans to do is to go to KevinEastmanStudios.com. Um, you'll not only get to see my convention schedule, you know, where I'm at, where I'm going to be more specifically in, in dates and times, but also, uh, if you haven't been able to tool around the site, there's a lot of fun stuff to see there, um, exclusive product and behind the scenes and lots of, lots of naughty fun stuff. So yeah, if you want to find out, I'm going to be signing Thursday, Saturday, Sunday with a couple of different awesome friends and, and IDW and Planet Awesome and stuff. But go to Kevin Eastman Studios, you'll see where I'm going to be and come by and say hi. 
Yeah, and if you haven't been to KevinEastmanStudios.com, he's always offering up signed action figures for sale. I know a couple of weeks ago you had a like a signed one-sheet poster from the Turtles movie up that you were selling, a bunch of copies of those. And I was like, ah, I just missed it. I couldn't get my hands on them. But he's always got tons of great stuff up there. So head over there. Check him out at Comic-Con uh, July 19th through the 27th, 22nd. Sorry. And uh, Kevin Eastman, man, I know, right? Thank you for hanging out with us so much. We really, really appreciate you stopping by to talk with us. Thank you so much. Really a treat talking to you all. You have a great day, rest you of your too. day. Thank you very much, sir. Have a good one. Thanks. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye bye. 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 All right, that was our interview with Kevin Eastman. How do you guys think that went? That was so cool. It was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. I'm, I'm I'm glad that we don't have to talk about um, uh, uh, Casey Jones and his dead kid anymore. <laughs> Is it really? Sorry, been that I'm like, hard? I'm, have I really feel bad? Should I have stopped a long time ago? Should I have not mentioned that? <laughs> maybe, maybe. I mean, it's you know, it's our shtick, but uh, it's a shtick we should put away. We need to get a new one for season two. Um, yeah, I thought that was awesome. He has said some really interesting things. It was really cool to learn just how involved he was in the movie. I honestly didn't think that he and Peter Laird had as much involvement as yeah, as they crazy. appeared to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because you usually that was my question. Jeez. Go ahead, Rachel. Yeah, because usually when it's like a film adaptation, the creator is kind of like, "All right, this get out of here." This is this is my job now. Yeah, is there yeah, anything like, uh, like Tank Girl comes to mind where like yeah. Hugh and Martin almost like they were on set every day just watching their creation get destroyed in real time. Yeah. So it's nice that it's nice to hear that they got you know a say. Is there anything that you guys wish you could have asked that we didn't get to? Hmm. Uh, I need more time to think about that. Yeah, there's just there's so much. It's Kevin Eastman, man. <laughs> I mean, it would have been nice if we had an hour with him. Can you? I would like, have asked him some ninja questions. Entire... What's your favorite weapon? Yeah, how do they know so much? Where does their, their knowledge of sort of ninjutsu and Asian culture come from? We never really get into that either. Other than, you know, the, the Frank Miller Ronin and Usagi Yojimbo and stuff like that. But, like, you know, I you know, specifically didn't want to talk too much about the comic books because, like, we, we had a limited window. And we're a 1990s movie podcast, so I wanted to keep it mostly on the movie, which I think we did a pretty good job of. But man, yeah. there's so many questions I could have asked that man. You know, how much of the merchandising do you see? Do you still have a hand in the products that go up? Well, you know, all kinds of questions. Like, and are you tired of drawing Ninja Turtles? Do you ever just look at a Ninja Turtle and go, "Ugh"? Can you even look at turtles anymore and see them without bandanas <laughs> and weapons? Like, have you ever seen the Crocs video? Oh, exactly. Uh, that's another one we should probably put to bed. Yeah, let's. <laughs> Let's let's retire that one. Crocs is officially oh, come on. retired. That one's adorable. Nope, Chris no, is retired. <laughs> uh, um, Sorry, hey, dear listener. Let's let's recap. I'll visit it every Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yeah, I, guess, I guess we're still under the season one umbrella here. So you know, partners in crime. You know the mm-hmm. the iconic song of the movie. The first thing you hear when the credits roll. Uh, the director of the film and one of the two creators of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in our first season of our podcast. That's a pretty good start, if I do say so myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're they were all good fantastic this, interviews, <laughs> and they were all really, really nice guys. I know. Just yeah. Just no, <laughs> nothing but nothing but solid dudes so far. I've worked on this on yeah. this license. Like no one's been a jerk yet. No, Ninja Turtles, <laughs> perhaps the friendliest franchise out there. Hanging yet. <laughs> yeah, well, you never know. 
All right. Well, listen, season two is going to be coming. We've started, uh, you know, talking about pre-production. We're going to do Ninja Turtles 2. We're not 100% sure how we're going to do it yet, but we're going to do another movies by minute or minutes kind of thing. It's going to be coming. I don't know when. We'll definitely update you once we get rolling, but uh, you can absolutely look forward to seeing before the end of the year, definitely the beginning of season two of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute. Uh, And hopefully we'll get some more awesome guests for that one. Uh, so I guess yes, I, I have I have quite a few hounding me. You know who you are. <laughs> oh, well, we, we've already got a list. We, we there's going to be cuts this year, guys. I hate to say it, but we're going to have to we're going to have to you know be really be sort of conservative and on that. Yeah, some of you aren't going to make the cut, and not for you know lack of awesomeness because all our guests were great. But there's just we've had a lot of people with interest. So man, that sounds super conceited. I apologize. Anyway, for the crew here at Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute, thank you for listening. Thank you again to Kevin Eastman for calling in and talking to us. Catch him at San Diego Comic-Con, July 19th through the 22nd. And if you're listening to this after that, you missed it. You stink. You should have gone. It was awesome. Uh, But we will see you guys in season two. Have a good one. Bye, everybody. Bye. So long. Chris? Cowabunga! There we go. (laughs) 